0: We'll learn all about the making of Oogie Boogie Bash at Disney's California Adventure in this Halloween special that's coming up. From HAN, I'm Philip, and this is a special Halloween treat for you. On October 9th, we went to the Frida Cinema and recorded this audio from An Oogie Boogie Afternoon, which was a panel presentation from Disney on the making of Oogie Boogie Bash at Disney's California Adventure. Jeff DiPaoli from Disney Coast to Coast, who you've heard on the show before, produced the panel, and aired it on his show. So today, we're playing that full episode from Disney Coast to Coast for you here today. Happy Halloween!
1: Welcome to Disney Coast to Coast, a show celebrating and questioning one of the most beloved entertainment companies in the world through honest, passionate, and clear-eyed Disney discussions. I'm Jeff DePauli, your entertainment-obsessed host with rose-colored glasses removed. Today in the show, I have my final Halloween episode of the season for you, and this one is full of all treats, no tricks. A lot of times, people ask me what my favorite conversation is that I've ever had on Disney Coast to Coast. I've had lots of great ones, so it really is impossible for me to choose just one. But the conversation you're about to hear is easily one of my absolute favorites of all time. This past October 9th, I produced an event called An Oogie Boogie Afternoon at the Frida Cinema in Santa Ana, California. The event featured a screening of Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas, preceded by a conversation with folks from Disney Live Entertainment about the creation of Disneyland Resort's mega-hit Halloween party, Oogie Boogie Bash. You are about to hear that conversation I had with Oogie Boogie Bash creator and show director Jordan Peterson producer Jennifer McGill, and lighting and projection designer Casey Wilkerson. Folks, the conversations you're going to hear today will absolutely thrill you. I've conducted a lot of interviews through the years, and I pride myself on doing a grand amount of research before interviewing my guests. For that reason, I often know the answers to a lot of the questions I ask them. In the case of Oogie Boogie Bash, there is so little information out there about this event's creation as this was the first time it was ever really spoken about. So, my mind was being blown left and right throughout our talk. Just from the backstory of Oogie Boogie Bash alone, which you'll hear during the conversation, it brought the party to a whole new level for me. The passion that Jordan, Casey, and Jennifer have put into Oogie Boogie Bash is so evident. And as a guest experiencing the party, I am so grateful for that. Listen as they share stories never discussed with the public, until now. Get ready for a special conversation about a Disney special event. Let's start off. We're just going to start down the line. We'll start at Casey. Why don't you introduce yourself, give your title and what you're responsible for in regards to Oogie Boogie Bash. Okay,
2: so my name is Casey Wilkerson. I'm the principal media designer for Disney Live Entertainment at the Disneyland Resort. Um, and for Oogie Boogie Bash, I, uh, so the position that I'm in now is new. Um, I was the principal lighting designer prior to, you know, in the before times. And so, uh, I designed all of the lighting for, specifically for Villains Grove and then oversaw some of the projection as well. How many of you guys, you've seen Villains Grove? Okay.
3: That's our baby hey i'm jordan peterson uh my title is shorter so i'm the director uh for Boogie okay, okay, bash uh so uh, i guess the idea of my role here would be the initial concept design uh behind the party itself uh you know the resort comes and says hey we're thinking about a new uh halloween themed event what do you got we go away we develop it so the initial concept design behind the uh, party as a whole and then Um, Surprisingly, all the individual pieces as well uh, was the initial creative uh, concept design behind, so from uh, outside of Villainous. So when you had Mickey's Trick-and-Treat and and you had Descendants and the OG, uh, the Immersive Trails themselves, that conceit, that idea, the brand behind the Immersive Tree Trails. Uh, Villains Grove was uh, our baby from the beginning, Uh, and then the parade, and when it opened uh, with World of Color, those two were not mine. But uh, yeah, that's kind of what I do overall, and then um, she pays for it.
4: Hi, I'm Jennifer. I'm the mean one. I'm the one that says that we don't have enough money or time for that. Right, right, right. No, I am a senior uh, producer at Disneyland Resort for Entertainment, Uh, worked with these guys on Oogie Boogie Bash and all the different elements for that production, as well as World of Color is My Second Child, um, and a number of things at Hyperion, special events, and that kind of good stuff.
1: Excellent. Well, welcome. Thank you for being here. through the, there you go through the years Disneyland Resort has had quite a few Halloween parties we've had Mickey's Halloween Treat we've had Mickey's Trick or Treat we've had Mickey's Halloween Party and they were hopping kind of between Disneyland and Disney California Adventure now i think that the what the or the public thinks is that we got Oogie Boogie Bash at Disney California Adventure because Star Wars Galaxy's Edge opened in 2019 is that true or false
4: I can say that wasn't that we, even a tough question. I, could, I yeah. know, I know, and they're going to just throw it to me. Um, I'm going to say we're, we are always looking to balance the experiences that we offer within the resort. So um, you could look at it that way. You could also look at that Oogie Boogie Bash scales a little bit older than Mickey's Trick and Treat did. Um, we, while we have stuff for the little ones and the families, we also have stuff for older um, and the young at heart. So I think that we there was more opportunity to do that at Disney California Adventure and also give – Bandwidth to uh, Galaxy's Edge for that park to stay open because, of course, Oogie Boogie Bash is a private party experience, so we have to close the resort to regular day guests. So it's it's always a balancing act.
1: And this is the first time that the party really, the icon isn't Mickey Mouse; it's Oogie Boogie. So, Jordan, was that your responsibility?
3: Yeah, for sure. So, one of the big things when we sat down to holistically kind of design and think about the story that we wanted to tell, we knew we wanted to skew. Uh, and not, not to eliminate the bottom of the age range, right? The idea wasn't like, no more kids, do it, but we wanted to increase the age range. Uh, we know that as uh, trending, as children are becoming a little bit more sophisticated in what they uh, uh, digest, I would say it is, in terms of the media that they have, we could kind of sneak that age range forward a little bit. Uh, when we sat down and we thought about how to design it, uh, we always start with story. So we thought about how and why we could take that party from Mickey and who would take that party from Mickey because Mickey's, you know, Mickey Mouse. It would steal something. Uh, and Oogie Boogie lended the chance and he was, he's just niche enough. And, of course, Nightmare is no longer purely niche, you know, obviously, but but still at the edges of the fringe to not be so character specific. Because if you think, think about it, if, if, it, if it was... Jafar's Halloween party, or you know, if it was Frollo's or something like that, like then it tells a very specific story.
1: Frollo's first, okay. Halloween party. <laughs> I'll, get, I'll get to it. <laughs> In I want to go to <laughs> party. <All> right, done.
4: <laughs> we don't have the time or the money for that. <laughs>
3: Disney Paris, it's on. Uh, so, yeah. So Oogie Boogie was just broad enough of a stroke and just deep enough of a cut that it kind of gave us permission to step outside the bounds on creating all of the other content that went alongside of it. Uh, and and it also gave a fun story conceit, which was... So the whole idea behind Oogie Boogie Bash is a holistic story for the narrative, is that Oogie Boogie uh, was watching Mickey's Halloween party, or whatever we called it, for the 20 times before, and basically stewing, right? Because he was like... I'm the king of Halloween, you know. Obviously, in his own mind, and you've got this happy mouse throwing a Halloween party. This is ridiculous. It's not your time to shine. Uh, sit down. So what he actually did is he he decided to steal the party itself. So he cast. That's when you see the spell has been cast. Uh, he cast a spell to steal uh, the party away and uh, hosted there at California Adventure, and then he wanted to invite um, all of the different villains from their worlds uh, into ours. And so that spell, what it did is it actually summoned. Uh, chunks of their world into ours through the ground. So realistically, if you look at each of the immersive trails, uh, most of them, it looks like something is bursting kind of out of the ground. Or this, the conceit, if you look at the edges of the platforms, they're all broken. It's because his spells actually pulled them and ripped them into our universe specifically. Now that was just their, their, their thrones, their domain. If you look, almost each one of those immersive trails also size-dependent has a throne of sorts because he then divided California Adventure into these different realms for which each of the villains could then rule their sections. So that's the creative conceit behind each of the immersive trails. And then the villains themselves uh, came through a different way. So those are the worlds that are summoned. The villains came through Redwood Creek Challenge Trail, which we'll go into later, which then goes into the story there.
1: I think we're done because I just learned more than I... (laughs) Did anybody know that backstory? Because that's... You need to like write a book. Done. There we'll we'll partner in one. All right. Okay. We'll make it happen. That's fascinating. It's a monster
2: multiverse. Yes. yes.
1: Oh, there we go. Disney loves that, that word. Okay. <laughs> so I got to – I don't know. Are you the one that gives permission? Do you green light this sort of stuff? Because like was Oogie Boogie a tough sell? Was it like, you know, we're taking this from Mickey? That's kind of a big deal.
4: Yeah, no i I do not get to green light things I wish I did um <laughs> but we we work together and basically bringing things you know bringing the concept together and then we present it up through various uh parties in the leadership of the resort to get it those approvals. surprisingly
3: it wasn't actually there was there, there's plenty of things that we do that takes a lot of um, pushback and a lot of uh, pain and suffering to get it to 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 where we get it out in front of the guests um, because you know everyone has a lot of stakes in it oddly enough oogie boogie and the core conceit of the party uh, had almost no resistance uh, marketing straight on board right away we i think we were running on parallel paths without realizing it so when we pitched the conceit of oogie boogie being in charge they were with it and they ran with it as well um, so no no pushback at all which was
1: nice, and Nightmare Before Christmas sells a lot of merchandise, and it so does. that helps too. Yeah. But before Oogie Boogie Bash, even Jennifer, you had a history with the Nightmare Before Christmas and the Disneyland Resort.
4: I do. I the uh, Nightmare Before Christmas overlay that we do at Haunted Mansion uh, was one of my projects many, many years ago when that first debuted. So yeah, we've been uh, I've been in the Oogie Boogie uh, Jack Skellington business for a little while now.
1: Yep. Who here loves Haunted Mansion Holiday Still running strong I mean it's been going a long time now
4: It's an amazing overlay I love it every year and while I'm not Directly involved with it any longer I will say my little tidbit that I always Get excited about is when you go through the Attic and you see the naughty and nice list Jennifer's on the list That's oh, me and I have been nice This year so
1: oh, excellent. So
4: I'm doing good Let's start talking
1: about the party at Buena Vista Street because Buena Vista Street, there we go, is uh, it's a very purple and green Halloween, which is very different than the black and orange. It's like two totally different types of Halloween. I want to know what I mean, green, I guess, ties into Oogie Boogie. Right. But was there something more behind that decision, Casey? Yeah, there was. Uh, we figured that Disneyland owned Orange and Black. You know, if you walk down Main Street, you
2: see all the pumpkins, you see all the, the bunting and everything. And it's very, it's very Halloween, but it's also, can also transition to fall fairly easily. And so since Disneyland owned, uh, Orange and Black, we decided, well, What is Oogie Boogie? So you go to green, and then if you look at the color palette in Nightmare Before Christmas, it is a lot of that, especially in his scenes, right? So there's that day glow, glow glow-in-the-dark aspect. So that became sort of the jumping-off point for the color palette. And that color palette's found throughout the entire party, whether it's in projection or in lighting.
1: And Carthay's Circle has become kind of a centerpiece uh, of that park, especially for the party, because you have some glorious projections that I will Show if this plays. There we go. Some beautiful projections on the Carthay Circle, and I'm kind of curious. Like, first of all, how many projectors is that to make it? I'm I'm so impressed with how seamless map projection is these days. Like, it looks like it's one projector, right? But clearly, it's not. That's two. That's only two. Two, two from an oblique angle, actually, which is really weird because we have to get around palm trees and oh red car trolley lines and everything else. Okay, so what's the design process like when it comes to something like that? Because it's kind of, it's completely original. It's not like you're showing scenes from the movie or anything.
2: Uh, Correct. So, so, um, oh, where do I want to start with
1: projection mapping?
2: Um, (laughs) So uh, when you projection map, it's not like you, it's not like you're going on a movie screen, right? You've got these uh, sort of arbitrarily complex surfaces. So if you're projecting on a movie screen, it's one thing. If you're projecting on a movie screen and then the front of this stage um, and then on these guys over here to the left and right, that's really different. It takes a different number of projectors and it takes uh, the ability to 3D map the space, which gets into, you have to laser scan the space, uh, the facade specifically, that gets you a 3D model. That 3D model is then converted into a texture and then... Uh, all of your uh content is created for that texture, or if it's previously um used content, it's uh, goes through a process that we call conforming. So it conforms to the texture. So this is the same process that we use not only in uh not only at World of Color and for all the uh um firework shows, but for Phantasmic, for the Bruno projections that we did earlier this year on Small World. Well, that are still running, I guess. Um, uh, as well as, uh, as well as Carthay. So the process is similar for all of them. The media is obviously different. Sometimes we create that media in-house, uh, with my team. Sometimes we go outside just depending on what it is we want to do with the projection.
3: And this one narratively internal um, with Casey's team, uh, specifically narratively wise, those were installed and created exclusively for this party. Um, The idea being that very rarely with projection mapping, do you get a blank canvas if you picture Main Street, right? And that's the opposite of color tone shift all throughout. There's different angles. Carthay just begged for something to be projected on, uh, which was really nice. Uh, And then as for the creative conceit, you know, peeling back the curtain a little bit, um, the initial idea did involve more specific Tim Burton-esque uh, projection design, a lot of those things come with you know money and sync rights and time and clearance, which Jennifer, uh, which Jen has to <laughs> has to deal with
4: the fun stuff, <laughs> the fun stuff.
3: Um, and then when we decided to pivot away from that, we wanted to uh, creatively, we just wanted something fun every 15 minutes that would be sweet and simple, especially for kids to appreciate. Nothing too dark and too intense. Um, so that's why we just went with just fun scenes. What would it look like if 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 you know Halloween just kind of went chaotic all over the building?
4: And, and Sorry, and just to add on to that, um, one other aspect that you may not think about is those projectors, while we have them out there, um, we want them to be hidden. We want to hide the magic. So they're no actually they on are. lifts so that they can come up, th- so they can hide away during the day and... Uh, they can come out when we need to at night.
3: Which is yeah. when I, as the creative, say, wait, I had insert money here. And they say, no, but you spent half of that hiding them. So <laughs> then we lose.
2: Very <laughs> true. <laughs> and that, that area particularly is very difficult to keep in focus. So it's interesting that you made the comment about how seamless it is. Because the lifts are so tall, they sway in the wind. Oh, wow. So the projectors are moving constantly and not together. Because they're on two very separate rooftops.
4: Yeah, our technical team, I will say that they are so diligent and they're so passionate about keeping it looking seamless, so I just want to throw a, you know, hats off to them yep, because they do awesome. a great job day after day.
1: Yeah, it looks great. I'm curious, do you is there a difference do you come at it from a different angle when you're doing something like the Carthay where it's kind of a happening, people are walking by and experiencing it versus a castle show where it's people are camping out for two hours oh, yeah, yeah, to so see it. The, the approaches are very different.
2: I mean, it's, it's all narrative and story based, um, but it just depends on depends on ultimately what we're trying to do. Sometimes we're not trying to stop traffic, right? Yeah. So with something like the projections on Carthay, it's enough to keep you interested and engaged, but it's not something that you're going to camp out for an hour to watch, right?
3: And creative intent, I think, is is huge, like a, a good point, and, and trying to set it up, like we, we don't advertise those as being element. They're not supposed to be. Like a lot of times people think that like everything should be a show. And then, you know, if we don't advertise it, or maybe it's the show that fell to the bottom, that's not the case. Because sometimes, you know, it's, it's the theory of theme park elevation, if you will, which is to say that how you present entertainment... Um, and which is the, the front end of my book that I'll write someday with you but, but how you present entertainment equals how it's digested by the audience so for example Dapper Dance right we can consider the Dapper Dance one of the most successful entertainment elements through theme park history correct but if we were to take the Dapper Dance and pick them up and drop them into the center of the Hyperion Theater and run the exact same show everyone in here within like three minutes would be like Oh, and, like, get up and leave. Like, it would feel underwhelming because it was presented in the wrong way. So a lot of times, like, what we work with is making sure marketing isn't advertising something as, like, come see the... Because it's not always supposed to be come see the Bruno when we did that was a big thing. We didn't want this to be a show that people camped out for hours before they watched because it's four minutes long and its totality. And if it was set up in the wrong way, it would be received in the wrong way because it would look like we missed the mark. So a good example there is the, the projections are just fun moments for people to have and then move on to versus a full show like Casey and I are working on uh, Wondrous Journeys. I think is what we're calling it now. Um, we're working on that. That's obviously a show that wants to be marketed differently.
1: It's, it's kind of goes back to the Waltz quote of giving the audience more than what they expect. And that's exactly yep. what it is. Perfect. Um, let's talk about the trick or treat trails. Because, Jordan, you have done something that I cannot believe the other resorts haven't ripped off. Because yes, right? you did social you distancing either. before <laughs> it was cool, right? Like yeah. you added characters to the trick-or-treat trails, which before, I don't know how far back you folks go going to these parties, but like it used to literally be get in the line, grab candy, leave. And that's still how it's done in Florida, I believe. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh, Florida.
1: I I mean, I really, really, really love it because I'm the type of person, I love seeing the characters. I'm not waiting in a two-hour line for a photo. It's just okay. not happening. But I love interacting with them for a moment during the trick-or-treat trails, Great. so... how did this come about
3: yeah that one was interesting right because this was the great experiment that could have absolutely been devastatingly wrong on the choice so what's interesting a lot went into this right so i started i started with a company in the 2000s i started in the entertainment department as a performer i've gotten to live on the front ends of entertainment and you know when i was there uh the autograph book was king right Like, that was king. And good for whoever invented it at Disney because it made them a lot of money. But at the same time, um, for those of us that are obsessed with narrative and storytelling and experience, it actually killed the the guest experience, I think, with characters. You have kids walking up with a book out, and they just don't even say a word to the character. And you get the autograph, but there's no interaction, there's no memory, there's no moment. And then it gets lost in the bottom of a drawer and remembered a year later, and then that's it. So it was kind of, I mean, it's a double-edged sword. So, what we noticed was a small trend happening towards the, the you know, the, the, I don't even know the year, phraseology, but in the eighteen nineteen range, where suddenly the new autograph, the autograph book had kind of gone away to an extent, and the new autograph, right, was the digital experience, which actually lends itself back towards narrative. A quick Vine video, old school, I understand.
0: A quick, isn't that
3: sad that Vine is old school? Um, a quick Facebook clip, uh, do it for the gram. That sort of interaction, suddenly interaction was the autograph. So we took a second and we paused and we looked and, you know, we've done a few successful parties and we've seen moments, like I was behind the Disney Night After Dark initial conceit design of what we were doing and we'd bring out rare characters and you watch a three-hour line hit and good for everyone that wants to stand in the three-hour line, you get that moment, you get that rare character experience, but that's not for everyone. So when we thought about the trails, you know, I wanted to plus them up with, with energy and creativity. We thought about the story conceited dividing this world into kingdoms. What could be their kingdom? What could they rule over? And then we thought originally when the pitch, they were like, oh, so you have the character, so you get some candy, and then you get in line to meet the character. And I was like, eh. If we put them on a stage and we elevate them, then we've instantly broken the psychological need to then walk up to the character and have that touchstone. So the guest comes in from far away realizing... Okay, this isn't an actual meet-and-greet experience. To wit, most people want to just see the character, have a moment, move on. The photographs and the long-term interactions are not necessarily in the majority. So if we did that, if we provide music, if we create this separation and this barrier, we will naturally create an effect that people then go past. And then you can have as long as you want with the character. If you want to step to the side, generally speaking, you can. You can watch and bask and take pictures and do amazing, you know, photographs. Or you can just get your candy, smile, and wave, and, oh, Oogie Boogie said hi to me, and that's all I needed in that moment, which allows more people to experience it. Now, that could have absolutely blown up in our face, right? People could have, within day one, been like, whoa, 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 I wanted to sit there and get a chance to meet Agatha, well, you know, C or two. But, you know, I wanted to have a chance to meet these characters, but... I mean like to I mean, we all held our breath when we opened into our excitement everybody was walking out and was like oh my gosh I'm in I'm out I got my candy I had a moment I got my picture and I'm on to the next one and it kind of kicked off something that then carried through it, we were we were we were covid before covid we were so hipster right because then it ended up working out suddenly you think I got into covid meet and greets and the understanding that and what I love is this forced kids and guests in general to go back to having moments with our moments with our characters, moments that they will carry with them that are memories, as opposed to, oh my god, two hours and for one picture and then to leave. Um, so that was the idea, and it ended up, it ended up working out really well. And the, the, the set design behind them was theatrical. Uh, Tom Zofre, who designs all of those, uh, he designs mini operatic scenes, in my opinion. Like, we talk about story, the conceit. I'll give you the conceit behind Ernesto if you want to know. Like, all of these are really deep stories, just as deep as the party itself.
1: Hold Ernesto. Hold. We're getting to him. Awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're so successful. Honestly, some of my favorite character interactions ever have been through that. Uh, Jennifer, I know you cannot give a dollar number, but I would love a percentage number. I'm really curious. What percentage of budget goes to Candy?
4: Oh, you know what? I actually have no idea. I have no idea. I know Mars is our sponsor, so a, thank you, Mars.
1: It's a ton um, of candy. Yeah, it
4: is a t- I will say that, you know, my family, my husband, my son, and I um, last year came home between the three of us with 13 pounds of candy.
3: Like I had yeah. to weigh it. And we'd
4: eaten a little bit. And when we, we opened up, we
3: watched, it was somebody, some someone, maybe in the room, I don't know, um, was in. And they were like ripping on us in the first round because they got like two pieces of candy. And they're like, oh, two pieces of candy. Way to go, Disneyland. Way to cheap out. And then within like within an hour, the next tweet came out. there was like, I don't have any more room for candy. And I was like, yeah, because there's like 18 stations throughout there. The bubbling cauldrons. Oh, we're good. We're good.
1: No, yeah, they're, they're super generous with it. And if somebody really wants a trick, this is a fat boy trick right yes. here take the candy that they give you and then be like, "Oh, do you have snickers or whatever your favorite is and then they'll give you that on top of what they already gave you. Such a fat boy <laughs> trick but hey, I've done it quite a few times. Um, in any case, so how does he, how do you decide if it's going to be a meet and greet or a uh, trick or a tree trail?
3: So for that, right we need if you picture what the tree trail experience is, it's it's big, it's larger than life. I mean, it's huge. And, and our Disney villains generally all fit that bill. Uh, tree trails have to be villains. Obviously, the, the kingdom was divided up. I saw a lot of people that were trying to talk smack on my narrative conceit behind Bruno appearing this year. And he's not a villain. He's not. He's not a villain. That's why it wasn't an immersive tree trail. Like, it takes two seconds to like realize like he's not that. So Bruno wasn't that. So you've got to be a villain. Uh, you have to be invited by Oogie Boogie. And then obviously, you have to be larger than life. We, we, we need the tree trail experience to be entertaining, to perform to. Um, so not that there are a lot of very small small Disney villains. So I can't think of many that wouldn't fit. But we also like rarity, right? You know, you'll notice that the first few villains rotated out. We had the evil queen. She took her leave. Um, Because, again, the queen is a fairly common character. So rarity is really important for us.
1: Let's take a look at a few of the characters we got here while we chat. (laughs) (laughs) love him. But some new ones we got this year. Just enjoy that as we chat. Uh, Mad Mad Madam Mim is in there now. We got Mother Gothel. (laughs) Uh, Bruno, as you mentioned, we got, no. we got no, do a do a trail. not a tree, not a tree, trail, trail. but I'm just saying in general, There's the characters trail. at the event, <laughs> Bruno's new this year. We got, uh, three classic characters dressed as the Sanderson sisters from Hocus Pocus. We've got some Kingdom Hearts characters. I am skipping the big one for uh-huh. a moment, but first of all, I want to know you're clearly obsessed with The Sword in the Stone because this man put a float in a parade at Disneyland that is Sword in the Stone with Magic Happens, which is returning finally in 2023. Who saw it during the two weeks? Anybody? Hey, yes? Hey, all right. Okay. OG, OG. For those of you who didn't, it's coming back. But, uh, I mean, you clearly love that movie, but what is the pitch meeting? Like, yeah, we're going to bring Mad Madam Mim to, to Trick or Treat Trail. <laughs> the,
3: the, the pitch meeting is is that I that I care about all of our audience, as opposed to just the metrics that sit at the top, right? Like, I think it's very easy to respond to the hot hand when it comes to social influence, media moments. The, the three of us, for example, represent a much larger team, but when we sit down, we are fully aware um, that there are people who, their first film could have been Sword of the Stone. They are very aware that the first film that they watched with their grandfather was Sword in the Stone because it was their first film. To just go after the now is to ignore the legacy that we build on, especially Walt's vision, but then to also stop and pause in what's safe is the opposite of what he wanted as well. So we're always trying to balance out a little bit of something. So if you looked at this year, for example, right, you have Mother Gothel uh, who sits in, it's very weird to say, but a classic Disney story because it still seems new to me. It's not. You've got Mad Madam Mim who sits to the very, very classic going back. And then you've got our other friend Ernesto, obviously, who is much more, you know, modern when it comes to that element. So providing a little bit of something to everyone is hugely important as we sit down and design everything we do.
1: And it's funny because those seem to be the ones that go viral, or these kind of like niche ones. Well, and we thought it
3: was interesting last last year, right, when we brought the first new lineup of villains, right? And we had Sid, Agatha. And um, Cruella. What was interesting was each one dominated a different segment of the social world. It was fascinating. If you went by Cruella, Instagram queen. Like, she photographs so well. She's a diva in her own right and all that. But the set reads well. The lighting reads well. Everything about it is just this photography moment. Uh, When you went to the uh, idea of, like, like, Twitter and quick quippy aspect, Agatha ruled the day. Right. She was the hot hand uh, coming off of that show. Um, she was the most viral element. Unexpected. People didn't see that coming. Um, so she kind of ruled that. And then Sid owned YouTube and anything that was long form. Because to listen to Sid just destroy people emotionally <laughs> in the disniest of ways, uh, this coming from an ex-Universal Grinch. Uh,
4: yeah. i could sit there all day and listen to sid and i swear was when i was in second grade that is who pushed me off my bike <laughs> i'm
1: positive it was him i love sid but was he hard to convince to greenlight as well because i mean he is kind of just insulting people and like you said in a disney way yeah not
3: not horribly it pixar pixar is, is, a, is a good partner of ours when it comes to trying to do you know it was like a well wouldn't you want to do insert modern character that we just did and like Again, you have to understand our audience is very different. Our audience lives with what you create. It's not at the forefront of what you create. we not the intent.
4: Yeah, and I would also say that Jordan has an excellent track record for understanding the pulse of what our guests are looking for. And I, I think while there's always discussions about our choices, I don't think that I, – I can't recall a lot of pushback on anything that we've gotten that, from a creative standpoint.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. I love the characters. Now we've got to talk about the big one this year. Ernesto de la Cruz. De la Cruz. Yeah. Have you all seen this? Even if, if not in person, check this out. I mean, did you know when you were creating this nope, that this nope, was uh-uh, the no thing? clue? No, nope, terrifying. <laughs> Two Worst weeks
4: before, we weren't sure. Nope, no, nope. <laughs>
1: wow. Truly. So, if you notice, right, we
3: do those we we do those teasers every year, right? Which are
1: hilarious because you don't even need them anymore because it sells we, out don't, anyway. Don't tell. You don't say don't tell that. Them we like doing them. <laughs> <laughs> we really like doing them. Oh, we love I, the teasers. Listen, teeters. I love them too, no, but it's just like you no, sold out so fast.
3: Yeah, we don't need to do them, but we like pushing the brand forward. If you'll notice, Ernesto was not teased. One of those great reasons was we we truly had no idea that. This would work two weeks before because when we sat down to design this experience the idea behind like so the story i'll jump into the story and lighting and all that but we didn't know that it was possible the first video of him it's literally him walking to set that hit 22 million views in day one and when it dropped. And it's just him walking past in broad daylight. We didn't even – it was literally two hours before we opened. So I called Jen and she'll tell you. I called Jen like two hours before we opened. I went, we didn't – we haven't looked at this in daylight. Like I forgot Oogie Boogie Bash opens in sunlight. Like, oh, my God. Like I – oh, my God. And I called her. I'm like, we have to do a test. So go. Yeah.
4: No, I mean because we had kept Ernesto so locked down that we didn't want any any leak that we were – Going down this path, so yeah, we we were definitely. And I showed up fully, fully
3: ready to cut him until to be an evening experience, similar like a villains' grove or something to that effect. Uh, And he walked around the corner in broad daylight, (laughs) and Jen, like my exact response was damn it, yeah, no, he looks really good. Like, I really wanted like I wanted the full immersive experience with lights because all the tree trails I'd much prefer, obviously, when nighttime hits, it's much more immersive. Just as a, as a director, I, I prefer that experience, but he looks so damn good. So we had no idea it was going to be as successful as it did. So the idea when we designed <laughs> that is he was actually damned, cursed, however you want to look at it. Uh, his punishment was to have to relive playing his moment, his song, every minute of every hour, of every day, for the rest of his life in in eternity. And he's so damn arrogant he didn't realize that was a punishment. He gets to perform his song every minute of every day of every year for eternity because that's exactly how uh, full of himself he is. So what's fun is Tom, when he designed the set design, if you pay attention to it, you'll see that the roses have started to die um, as, as true fans have faded out, right? The White Roses at various stages of decay. You'll see he's surrounded by his marble statues. If you go up and look close, they're cracking throughout. There's little bits that have started to crumble off. So the facade of Ernesto de la Cruz is completely falling apart around him. But again, he has absolutely no idea that it's happening. All he knows is that his adoring fans are still there, uh, and that is all that he cares about. Even his song has taken on this haunting minor melody key and been reinvented
1: uh, and again he's, he's just completely unaware because he's ernesto de la cruz i love it we've gotten some great characters some shocking characters through the year are there any that let's go down the line that you would like to see any villains you would like to see brought to And any that were pitched and not allowed we still have next year to do, so this is going to be. Yeah. I don't know that we want yeah, to. Like, yeah. <laughs> were there any that were pitched that they're just like, no, it's not going to work for no, one. We
3: reason. actually haven't. Well, yeah. I don't think we've brought anything forward where it was like a hard oh, no wow. to a character. Disney's been, uh, you know, wonderful. The partners and the different studios have been wonderful. And we have next. Go ahead.
4: Yeah, I was going to say I have. I have my deep cut requests, which I know we'll never actually. Yeah, you get can to pitch do. that
3: one because I'm not doing it. <laughs> <that. Yeah. laughs>
0: <laughs>
4: I want to do Doc Hopper from the Muppets. Why movie, would you right? say
0: no to that,
4: Why would you Jordan? say no to the Muppets?
3: Because I got like six in a row.
4: Oh, I love Come the Muppets.
3: On. I did Muppets Christmas Caroling
1: Coach. I love the Muppets. Uh,
4: I know. See, okay. see, see, see. Doc, ah.
1: dude, we Reed need, need food, at least the food stand with the giant frog right. legs. There you go. Then that would be good. Oh, I like that. Oh my gosh. I just wish Honey I Shrunk the Kids had a villain because <laughs> I'd be like, bring right. that. In.
3: So next, so next year we have started. Discussions for next year. Not Doc. And not Doc. Oh, um, man. So you can you can you can print that. Uh, Jennifer, just take some money m- m- away m- and be like.
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, but one of the things that we have talked about is you know as as culture has changed and as Disney filmmaking has changed, it gets harder and harder to find villains. Yes. So who's going dressed up as family dysfunction? Family from dysfunction this week. <laughs> Mother issues? Anyone? <laughs> right?
3: Because well, the villain right? from that, turning that's red.
1: the weirdest thing though. Like they just announced there may potentially perhaps be a villains land at Magic Kingdom coming, and I'm like, you guys don't make villains anymore. What are you doing? Yeah. Like I love I'll- it,
3: but. I'll be curious to see if we get back into the business of villains. I mean, I I think, and again, luckily, so, so we, we tell stories of storytellers, right? Like, that's our, our conceit, right? Because we don't drive original content generally. Um, so we're eagerly awaiting, just like everyone else, to say, like, what's the, what's the next thing that we can take and run with? The two or three planned for next year. I have one that will absolutely break everybody's brain in here. And no one's expecting it. I promise. I promise. I promise.
1: How was, so clearly you're thinking this a year plus in advance, but how, close was like the closest character like Agatha was pretty quick turnaround right because she wasn't out a year before the party. So from a production standpoint I'll let Jen talk to her because it's her
3: hell um, is if you picture it so generally speaking you know because like I you know, came from Universal for a while too you know, you know Murdy's already working on Halloween next year a month and a half ago so like you know they spend a year working on not spends a, a good chunk of time. We ramped up last year's in earnest in what?
4: We started in earnest July 1st last year to open on, what was it, September 6th or 7th. So, yeah, it was a ridiculous so all that turnaround. all work done in about two months. Yeah. This year we started again so too late I know or late for March we started on uh, this year's New Characters and I, I'm working really hard to start us working now yep. um, and there's a, there's a lot of you know internal factors that go into when we start working on things um, because we are never not busy I was going to say this um, isn't
1: your only gig yeah. like Correct. you've got
4: a lot of other and we don't, and shows yeah and we don't have a slow season anymore there is no downtime.
3: yeah because each of us is different. obviously working on different you know, you've got World of Color 1 you've got Wondrous Journeys and World of Color 1 you know we We've got other elements, but we want to. This 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 is such a passion project from for most of us. We love being out there in the party and watching it happen. And I love, you know, those villains each year. And what we've done is what we tried to do is create a brand. Right? There's a reason that uh, Knots or Universal have been celebrating their 25th and 30th, and 35th year of Knots. They haven't had to rebrand their parties across the board because they keep their content fresh within the outside of the party. Our brand is not Mazes. Our brand is Immersive Trails. So how long can we constantly keep that interest coming? How long can we tease it? That's why I will never stop trying to do the teasers because we want people to think like, oh, what's coming next? I can't wait till they drop it so we can dig into it and pull it apart and figure out what it is and you know try and find out. So that is our brand and I hope that keeps this party running more than five, six, seven years the typical life of a Disney party.
1: Yeah, it's great. Let's talk a minute about the Parade, because correct me if I'm wrong, this is a new thing for Disneyland Resort Halloween parties, right? I I know that. The uh, Booty You Parade is huge in Florida, but is Oogie Boogie the first Halloween party to have a parade? No. No.
4: Okay. And, and actually, I think from the three of us, I don't think any of us have a direct. Oh, maybe. Maybe. I do, yeah. Okay, yeah, I'm going Fra- to throw it to KC.
2: fun was, I can't remember the name of it when it was running during. It was like a cavalcade, right? It was a much smaller yes, thing. At it Disneyland. was much yeah. smaller, um, had the worst song ever written. Oh my God, it was awful. I can't like I've purged it from my memory. <laughs> but it was. Pardon not, me while
3: I search that and it, play it for you.
2: <laughs> it was the cutest little darn Halloween song you've ever heard, which was why it was wrong. Um, but uh, but yeah, a lot. Some of the floats survived and uh, have made it into frightfully fun. But yeah, th- this one is is. This I, is I think it's the best parade we do, personally, just because I love the art direction. I love all the characters. There's some cool
3: uh, lighting toys now, right?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the uh, the Haunted Mansion unit with the gravediggers and all the ghosts, all the dancing ghosts.
3: And so, then now uh, the parade uh, route lighting.
2: Yes, 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 yes. We're, we're transitioning all the parade route lighting in DCA over to LED. So that gives us a lot more control over color and timing and everything else.
3: So if you pay attention when the parade goes by now, there's the, the lights sync more in terms of like there's active much, moments of the parade. Uh, and you'll see that with uh, magic happens at night
1: I when it comes that. back. Yeah. Now, something that I don't know if this is factual. Maybe you guys can correct me, but I find so interesting. We got Haunted Mansion up on the screen right yep. now. Is this the first time? that a parade has featured a float of an attraction that isn't in the park that it's in. Because if you think about it, it's weird. You would never go to Walt Disney World and see a Spaceship Earth float in Magic Kingdom. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of bizarre, but it so works.
3: As long as you eliminate Tokyo. Whenever you say, is this the first time? <laughs> Just assume Tokyo isn't included because they've probably done it. Um, I think so. And I think I think the idea is that Haunted Mansion is, 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 is transcendent beyond its bounds it's yeah. just such a halloween associated element that i think there was almost there, someone did bring that up for like half a second and then everyone was like "Nah, it's haunted mansion
1: i just think it's impressive that like the disneyland resort as a whole is looked as one big picture i feel like much more so than walt disney world rather than and also you street. could tie in the stick some Haunted mansion holiday on that and you can there you mark go
3: it then we would be set yeah. or or what if somebody did like you know like muppets Mansion would be really cool. I'd yeah. be
1: cool with that.
3: That's not a tease. That, uh, okay. I don't know anything we to do got with that. a couple
1: media people here. <laughs> Write it down. Next year... <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's
1: like the D23 session. <laughs>
4: I'll find the money. I heard
1: Florida uh, Yes, let's say Florida did it. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, the Frightfully Fun Pre. We got to talk about something that I'm obsessed with, and that is Villain's Grove. Yay. <laughs> because, yes. first of all, why don't you... I was actually upset when the movie was, when the party was moving from Disneyland to DCA. I was like, my favorite thing was the mood created at Rivers of America. I was like, where are they going to recreate that? And then all of a sudden, you do this thing called Villains Grove that blew my mind. And I was like, this party better never leave DCA. (laughs) So, just Casey, why don't you, can you describe it a bit just for folks? I mean, it's up on the screen, but for folks who have never walked through it and experienced it.
2: It is so hard to describe, and it does not translate well to photos or video, unfortunately. Yeah. So it is one of those things that you just have to experience. The um, So the general idea was that we wanted to create a space that the villains inhabited that was essentially their worldview, right? And when Jordan and I first started talking about it, he was like, it's Halloween, but it's beautiful because the villains would think that their space is beautiful it's beautiful to them and so you know we started looking around at um you know anybody who's lived in southern california for a while has maybe been to uh, enchanted forest at Descanso gardens or uh la zoo lights uh there's a company out there called moment factory that does a lot of these immersive types of experiences and so we looked at those and we thought, okay, those are cool. They're not necessarily, um, the scenes aren't necessarily linked by any sort of a narrative thread. So that's a missed opportunity. Uh, and they're all themed around the other holidays. And we hadn't seen anything that was scary in a beautiful way. So we're like, okay, when you're, tr- when you're trying to identify something that you want to do that's new, a lot of times you're looking to something that... People haven't done before, or haven't iterated on before. So, coming up with uh, Villains Grove was exactly that. It was let's create these immersive worlds without characters, with just lighting and audio and projection, and uh, and 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 lots and lots and lots of haze. Um, and I think. I think we did a pretty good job. It's kind of awesome.
1: (laughs) You did the most amazing job ever. I'm going to tell you, this is so geeky and nerdy, but maybe somebody in this room would appreciate it. It's my favorite use of a fog machine at a live event ever. And it's because I don't hear. I love the fact that the fog machines are out of sight, out of, you know, you can't hear them. And it's just brought in so beautifully. Unless, you know, it's the Lion King section, you want that. Right. Yes, but, yes. Oh my god, it's unbelievable.
2: They're uh, they're not machines, actually. <sighs> what are they? They're not fog machines. They're water mist.
3: Oh. So, we could, cool. avoid, so we could avoid that
1: wow. very specific thing. Yeah. Oh, there you go. It's just... So when we, designed, <laughs> when we designed,
3: so the, the creative conceit for anybody who wants to know, the extension of the Oogie Boogie original story is, right, he summoned the lands through the grounds that appeared. And then when he summoned the villains themselves into the, our world, he actually opened a portal at the back, um, you can't see it, but at the back of Redwood Creek. And that's where they walked through the forest. And when they walked through the forest, they actually twisted the forest just with their presence, and their evilness. Uh, and so you actually saw the the trees bend. You saw the lights start to shift. You heard the echoes of their music you heard the echoes of their voices and those are actually um the wisps which are the caretakers of the forest that you hear speaking uh and they're they're echoing what they heard when the villains passed through so for example as judge claude frollo walked through that section stained glass lights started to form as opposed to the trees bent themselves into candelabras uh and then you hear the wisps whispering his you know guilty and whatnot that kind of echoed him um, so that's the creative conceit behind. And then when so when you head in, you're actually you're getting lulled into a nightmare. Basically, is the idea. You walk through that opening tree, uh, and you're you're taken into this nightmare. You're walking through uh, throughout, and towards the end, at the end of the forest, um, the wisps they're watching you the whole time. If you pay attention, the wisps pop up and they're projected all throughout uh, as you get through the lightning forest. They've decided you've had enough. Uh, they bring you safely into their glade, which is their home. Uh, they live in that log, uh, where you see that's the portal to their world. Um, you're seeing refractions of their light everywhere around there, and then they wake you um, from your dream, which is why we call that last scene the resolution of dawn. Um, are so we walking to heaven? What's going we are? on? There? No, thank you. Right. No. So that is inspired by the Ave Maria scene, specifically uh, from Fantasia. Right. Uh, one of the gags that I'd love to do someday that we tried to do, but we just couldn't pull off the amount of time and money that we have was you were actually going to see the monks. Jennifer. <laughs> you were going to see the monks of the Abbey and their shadows walking alongside you oh, through wow. the trunks. Um, but the idea there is that you are um, a lot of people have taken it as stepping through heaven. For us, it's waking up from this nightmare and waking up into your perfect world is the idea.
1: Who here hasn't experienced it in person? Anybody? Because oh
3: God. It's really cathartic. It's interesting. The reason it's, we didn't we we tried not to touch the the narrative too heavily throughout that, because you kind of get to experience your own story. Everybody takes a little bit different away from them at the end. I've seen plenty of people come through the fog at the end, just like full on tears streaming because it has that heaven effect, which is the
1: idea. It's like a spiritual experience. Mm-hmm. And I I'm like not saying that lightly. It really <laughs> blew. My mind, it's, and,
3: and we did oh. have to fight. You know, when you talk about this, is one we did have to fight very strongly on because on two factors, we had one camp that absolutely wanted characters uh, in the experience, and there are still plenty of guests that do give feedback and they say it'd be better if there are characters. And it's one of those times where you have to say, agree to disagree. I believe that the experience is intended to be internal as opposed to external. We throw tons of characters at you. We throw tons of candy at you. This is a moment of quiet introspection inside of a theme park, which is one of the rarest things you'll ever find inside of a theme park. Something that you can take at your own pace, which, again, completely unheard of. Most of the time you're ushered along at a specific speed. um, And we felt those things would break the narrative journey so that people couldn't have those cathartic experiences. Uh, At the end, I know uh, Patrick uh, Ryden who does uh, some of his, you know, he had one of my favorite moments that I use.
1: He's right there. Oh, shut up. What's up? Hey, bud.
3: One of my favorite elements that I include (laughs) in every resume and reel that I ever put together uh, was at the end when, when, you know, you get to watch um, uh, people have moments and that just doesn't happen in theme parks all
1: that often. Um, So we didn't want, we didn't want that element. Was there ever a different idea for Redwood Creek Challenge Trail or was it always this?
2: It pretty much was always this. the The stories that we wanted to tell didn't really change that much from our first conversation. Because you, cause you, you, the the I, if I remember correctly, the first time we were talking, you had said, "Okay, so we begin with Frollo," and I was like, "Oh, I am in, I am so in, in. right?" Um, we get but, Hellfire yeah. <laughs> in <laughs> right. villains. Anyway, grove. we can squeeze in Hellfire. Yes, I'm good. Bring back to um, world of color, but please. But then, you, um, yeah. you know, we, what we really wanted was. To, to do a blended transition into all of these stories and have them sort of bleed into one another as opposed to, uh, oh, we're going to have a furlough moment, and then we're going to have a Maleficent moment, and then we're going to have a Alice in Wonderland moment. It was more about trying, what is that connective tissue that combines them all together? And we came up with a, a, a lighting language that allows specific colors from the previous scene to carry through into the next scene and then that transitions into another color that takes you into the third scene. So it's all sort of like it's it's a little bit more subtle, but it I think it really, really works in in bridging all of the different scenes. Cause otherwise some of the scenes would make sort of no sense following one another.
3: And we want it and you know we want that similar to the tree trails to continue to evolve. So, our intent is to always try and go back. Well, I mean, this one takes a lot more infrastructure, um, so the evolution can't be yearly. Um, but the idea is as it lives on, you'll see other villains step in and take over sections. And uh, the entire thing is an original soundtrack, start to finish, in terms of like fully custom scored.
1: Sell and, it, please. Yeah. Sell it.
3: Well, right? I keep trying. Thank you. Because um, it's <laughs> stunning. Um Azar. Um, uh, you'll hear uh, Tori Letzler is the voice that you hear that ethereal um, female singer at the end that you hear. Um, she comes to us for du "Soleil." She's an amazing composer in and of her own rights. Um, she, it is it was an act it was a, it was an act of love from all of us and to prove how deep because this is this is my like Meh, moment. There was one night they decided Jen got this call from me breaking down. They decided they wanted to add candy to the trail and I the exit the right exits. when you're
2: going to heaven literally <laughs> well
3: I
1: think candy's <laughs> candy so I mean that's a pretty nice <laughs> welcome
3: Airpoint. so so they had a treat cart place there and I went out immediately to like watch <laughs> and I li- I literally called Jen Miguel and then I called the vice president of the park uh, in in literal tears because it devastated the experience because people they were like get your bags out have your bags ready for candy like through the fog while people are trying to have this experience and I like Everything that we create, this team, I can tell you personally... Is very personal to us. Like we have never phoned one thing in. This is our art. This is our um, this is our joy. And to have that moment torn down, like it was horrifying. So I called her crying. And I called the vice president. I was like, "Please, God, take the candy out. <laughs> Hand it all over to my friend here." And uh, and they, then they got rid of it within about forty minutes. So that was good.
4: Yeah, and I will say that uh, to our leadership's credit, yep. they very they were like, "We just want to try," and it, it's hard to fight with. Uh, we just want to try, but we, try. we let them try and they quickly said yeah we're wrong
1: all right well as you get ready to add new characters in there just i'm excited to see the sanderson sisters that's all i have to say <laughs> so make that like i gave you overlays <laughs>
4: Wow, well,
0: they're
1: cute right let's add the sanderson <laughs> okay sisters right villains all grove. right done sure. the um, <laughs> dog hopper before we move uh, before we move on from villains grove i want you to tell the story about an email you
4: got yeah so um As Jordan said, we we are all very, very passionate about what we do, and we're very proud of what we do, Um, but sometimes you can get a little disconnected and and understand the level that sometimes it resonates, and one of the things from the very first year that always stuck with me was we got an email about a month into the run, and it was from, I think it was actually a cast member who generally goes to Disney events with their visually impaired friend. And they will go and they will describe everything to this, um, friend of theirs. And they got to Villains Grove and the friend started, as he always did, describing things. And his friend just basically put his arm on his shoulder and said, stop. I, I can see this. And it just, it gives me chills every single time to know that like he was able to see and feel and experience everything that we created. Through his own lens And it was still just as impactful And it just That one always hits me That, you know We we don't always know Who we're creating This experience for But to know that it can work On so many different levels Is just It's valuable Remarkable
2: Right (laughs) I mean the other thing is, too, it's, it's um, you know, the rest of the party uh, is fairly modular. It kind of comes and goes. Villains Grove is absolutely not. It It is a monster to install and to strike, especially when you're dealing with a protected tree like the Redwood that you can't, like, touch. <laughs> and there are 700 and some lighting fixtures and 14 projectors and miles and miles and miles of audio cable and data cable Damn. and tons of speakers and... And all, the, uh, all sorts of special effects. So a huge shout out to the crew that works on that uh, installation and striking it because they are amazing.
3: Yeah, because when you think about that place from a logistical for for people that are nerds like us, um, from a logistical standpoint, that that place it's not wired for any of that. Like you don't even think like I don't think about that because luckily I get to be a creative uh, and then they have to pay for it and they have to do it. And like and so, like when I'm like, ah, oh, just throw lights there, and like how, <laughs> like where are you going to plug it in, Jordan? I was like, I Is there not a plug behind that tree? Like, what? So when you think about it, that whole area, that has nothing. They literally had to trench and dig and create server lines and and not touch the roots of redwood. Um, for months. I think it was like three, four months to like get the initial in.
4: The first year we started um, in May, starting. And th- when he they talk about digging and trenching, sometimes it's literally with a spoon because you have to be so delicate. So we had to be really good partners with not only horticulture that protects and speaks for the trees out there, um, but also our WDI partners that were very protective of the look of how things look during the daytime so we were um, blessed by the fact that Tom Zofre our um, scenic designer his son happens to work in uh, the national parks so all of the theming of the covers and the boxes it, they look like and that's mean, another they're huge, legit and that's another um,
3: thing you don't think about right is a big chunk of bu- budget going towards how do you You can't just put a projector where Disney right there, there's certain levels that certain theme parks have and some you could just throw the projector at, but we're not going to so then half of Tom Budgets going to go to building birdhouse enclosures for the world's biggest birds.
4: Weather station, weather stations, and
3: there's chunks of his money gone. Like those are the things you don't think about from a design perspective. Like how do I plug it in, and then how do I cover it up at the same time that obviously the team you know took a lot of care to.
4: Yeah, yeah, but even even now we um, we start that install in July. So it's
1: and there's some stuff that's permanent now that you've put that,
4: there's some, but not a lot, wow. not a lot.
1: It's crazy. Well, round of applause for Villains Grove, please. Oh my gosh, I love it so much. I want to talk real briefly about something that you kind of inherited, I guess, is Cars Land. That already had a Halloween overlay before Oogie Boogie Bash existed. How does that work? Did you get involved with any changes for that, or are you just kind of letting WDI do their thing? We
3: didn't really touch anything. I I think I designed the, it's been a long time, but I designed the new Nighttime. The Shaboom, we call it the shaboom moment, the typical turnover from night to day Um, and we do the um, put a spell on you uh, version of it, so that was really I think the only way that we touched it, I mean because that's
1: one of the best land overlays in Disney's history, I mean it's phenomenal it's like why touch what's perfect they do a really really great job I think we're running out of time here unfortunately, this has been a super super interesting conversation before we leave I want to say thank you to the staff at the Frida Cinema, they have been excellent partners their sponsors, Midsummer Scream, the Halloween and Horror Convention, as well as the Airbnb Ghostly Retreat. If you haven't seen this Haunted Mansion themed Airbnb, it's crazy and it's like 15 minutes from Disney. And I started
3: as a butler. Like that was my first was gig first at Disney gig? Yeah, on the that's college awesome. program. So like that that place is cool.
1: Very cool. And uh, sponsor Disney Coast to Coast, which just so Whoa. happens to be hey. my podcast. Hey, yeah. thank you. Thank you to Casey, Jordan, Jennifer. Thank you so much. This was a blast. And uh, yeah, that's going to do it. Awesome.
0: Sign up at dantum.com slash demo. That's dantum.com slash demo. Our Hauntathon team includes Daryl Plunkey, Emily Louise Rua, Megan Spells, Gavin Burns, and Omni Adventures. Our partners for this year's Hauntathon include Sharp Productions, HorrorBuzz.com, ScareTrack, TheScareFactor.com, and Hauntopic Radio. The best way you can support us this Halloween season is by sharing our haunted with someone you think will enjoy it. And to follow along to our haunted sign up for our weekly newsletter at hauntedattractionnetwork.com. We'll catch you back here tomorrow and every day until Halloween.
2: This is a Haunted Attraction Network production.